Welcome to The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and a podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host, Fiona Lamb, and I'm coming to you from the New South Wales Central Coast, which is Garingai land. I'm Coach Kiwi, and I'm coming to you from Garingai land this week. I'm Lauren Hodson, and I'm coming to you from Darawal country. In this week's show, our Round 6 pod for AFLW Season 7, we will review Round 6, mention the jerk newspaper and the jerk article, We'll review our tipping comp, tell you who'll join us next week. And Fee, Fee, that's me, I will, I'm reading my own notes here, I will interview Maddie Collier, which you can catch in the fifth quarter. But first, let's chat about the crowd numbers and we'll start with the showdown. Huge numbers down in Adelaide. So it was the first showdown between Adelaide Crows and Port Adelaide Power, which obviously has a massive following and rivalry in the men's game. So this was the first one for the women's game. But they had over 20,000 come along to Adelaide Oval to cheer on the Crows and Port. Now, this is off the back of one of the commentators, Mark Soderstrom, said every morning the newspaper front and back page had articles on the players. Either team, many players. So that's a whole build-up of media leading into this game. And hello, we got twenty thousand people. And the premier thought it was possible. The premier mentioned it as well, apparently. So when the leader of your state is encouraging people to come along, it's got to help. So if we can get media promoting women's sport, women's football, people will come along to the games. Hello, AFL. (laughs) <laughs> it's a well, given. Um, one other game I really want to mention because there was a whole heap of really good solid c- crowds over the weekend, but Sydney hosted the first of what's going to be a footy festival in the month of October at Henson Park, which will shortly be the home of Sydney Swans AFOW. But Giants took over the space on Saturday in their match against the Blues and had a whopping crowd of 8,972. Huge. It was great and we were there. It was a great match. And uh, I tell you what, my heart was in my mouth for the entire match because uh, uh, Giants have never beaten Carlton, never, ever. And we've been there to see them lose several times. So I Including uh, getting hit by lightning one time. (laughs) (laughs) So this was also, I'm sure, the first time that Carlton has come to Sydney and played the Giants and not had um, lightning delay or thunder delays during their games. Well, history making mm. in more than one way. First right. happens a few times. Well, we were there the, the year at Five Dock when um, Bree Davey did her ACL, which was um, devastating. Yeah, oh. just yeah. Times we don't want to remember, perhaps. <laughs> That's right. No, but, look, the, I mean, the positive things, the, the Giants certainly bounced back from uh, – from, you know, the week before where they got mauled by the Crows. Yep. Absolutely. And from the get-go, are we going straight into their game? Straight into the Giants game. Yes. They started out and took it to the Blues and never let the Blues in the game. Like there were some real solid performers. Uh, Lala Wofi, she was incredible. There was, Mm -hmm. you know, some solid performance throughout the Blues team. But credit to the Giants. They just came out with fury and – 
Um, and I'm going to say it because I know over the week this copped a lot of grief about um, the lack of talent in Sydney and the lack of development through our um, state and even ACT because giants draw from them as well. Um, but I'm going to tell you that there's a bunch of giants who stood up and I thought played really well and they are the local kids. Um, yeah. Tani Evans was good. Georgie Garnett was good. Um, Mowbray had a solid game. Goodsa on her, on her first game back after having a baby only seven months ago. Um, That's incredible. Know, she she was still strong. So, you know, our usual performers in the game, you know, Parker and Eva and, um, you know, Hetherington did a good job down the back too. But, um, you know, I just think good on them. Cora, she kicked a couple, just did Cora things. Um, yes. I do want to say one thing. Whoever did the DJ, and I know there's complaints about AFL having music after the goals, but at that game it was on point. Like yeah. it was brilliant and they had teed up the song to the right moment and when Cora kicked her first one, it came straight in um, Everyday's Hero. Yeah. <laughs> there goes my hero, however it goes, you know. Um, but I thought it just created some atmosphere um, on the day that sort of had airplanes and clouds and a little bit of rain and a, a chunk of sunshine. Well, Henson <laughs> Park will throw up everything. Why not? It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I thought, yeah, a bit of atmosphere and um, I actually quite enjoyed it and um, and even yeah, the pre-game so music was good. It was, wasn't it? So it was really good to see the Giants just bring it from the start. They got the first goal. Um, Carlton answered back pretty quickly as well. But sometimes there's a bit of luck that goes into this as well. Uh, Carlton had another kick on goal before... Um, kick a goal and, and, and miss and it was a behind. And I am certain that if they'd gotten that goal, um, Giants would have dropped their heads and it would have gone in a very different direction. But they missed and Giants got another goal before. So so it was already 2-2 two, two, um, to 1-2. They were already a goal up uh, at quarter time and uh, they never lost their lead. So they got that momentum and they kept it going. It's great to see. <clears throat> um, shout out to a bunch of um, Carlton fans that travelled to the game as well because I think it's hard when you know your team's not really performing well and they've sort of been under the pump a bit this year. But there was a chunk of them that came all the way to Sydney and um, I even saw a Darabin Falcons beanie walking through the crowd. I know there are a few Falcons who play for um, Darabin and there's one former Falcon in the Giants team. But, yeah, you don't expect to see that very famous beanie. On a yes. Saturday afternoon in in, in a west of Sydney. No, yes. I guess it just shows there's some dedicated supporters out there, and uh, obviously, you know, we need to to build a few more of them. But uh, look, as much as I'm not a Blues fan, um, that's certainly a, a, a pleasing thing to see for women's footy. So whilst the Giants and Carlton are on the same points, oh, actually, they're they're identical points and percentage, so they. They're at 13 and 14, but I guess they're both tied at 13, really. Uh, the same cannot be said for the Sydney Swans. So absolutely pummeled by the Kangaroos. Um, they managed to get one point. I didn't watch the game, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because it sounded like it was pretty difficult to see. Yeah, it hasn't been a great... Uh, couple of weeks for Sydney sides and, and big margins has it. Um, 
look, the uh, I think once again the the Swans, you know, there's there's the effort there, but the experience and of North it just it really shone through, and um, I guess it was just hard for the Swans to compete. Yeah, it was interesting that it looked early on they were just willing to go straight up the guts and that was, you know, their kick-ins were just going straight up the middle and it's kind of like if if North force a turnover, you're in scoring range for them because they are so clever and they've got some beautiful long kickers of the ball and and you knew they were going to score goals. Every, I think everyone knew it was a given. North were going to kick a bunch of goals against Swans. It was just a matter of making them work for those goals and, you know, so to some degree there were some that did it um, I thought a lot of the goals probably came in a little bit too easy for for, for this level, um, you know. And then there were some interesting tactics. It, you know, it looked like Montana Ham was tagging Jazz um, Garner, which I don't know. I think Mon's a classy enough player. You just want her to play her game and make them come to her rather than her follow around her opponent. Um, a little bit, and especially through that midfield when she's been the Swans' best ball winner, uh, you don't want to sort of take that away from your game and, um, you know, rely on the other ones that don't win as much balls. It's just how I look at it. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 going to be really hard for them to get a win. I think we've said that now after losing to the Hawks. Is, um, and I know Scott's – he's made a few comments about um, they're focusing on certain things. They've got little – little um, targets they try to achieve each game rather than actually go out there and kick a goal or sorry not kick a goal go out there and uh, win the game um, and look at that as being their success which uh, I don't know you guys may think of that something different but I just look at it and go this is our elite competition and you're here to win Um, the development is done through your second tier comp or your academies and you know that's where you go and look to get your you know your development from yeah, I, it sounds, <laughs> you know, that was the story that the Giants were told in season one and I I draw your attention to the rant that I had about that. <laughs> I just, um, there's no such thing as a development team at this at this stage. Developing, sure, but um, they all should be continuing to develop and build their skills. But uh, yeah, Well, they've had the same opportunity, really, as... Essendon, Port, Hawthorne. Yeah. Hawthorne. So they've all got wins now. Well, Port, uh, Port had a draw. But um, Hawks have done two wins. You know, Essendon are flying. So we've had the same – we, Swans, have had the same opportunity, mm. the same amount of weeks, um, probably almost a head start in, the, in regards to um, Port and Essendon in that the coach has already had experience as a head coach in AFLW. Hmm. He's got connections. He's got the experience at that level, whereas the Port and Essendon coaches didn't have that. Yep. So, so really we should be ahead of the eight ball a little bit. And then we took two of the top five draftees coming out of Victoria, hmm. two of the top five. So that means that Port didn't get those, Essendon didn't, Hawthorne didn't. Yeah. So, you know, we've got the pick of the talent. You know, we've got an experienced coach. I think, yeah, we've got to start rattling something in there. And Do you think they need to? And I know I look back at that that interview that Fee and I had with Scotty 
um, you know, I think it was before the season started. And he spoke yeah. about then saying, look, you know, we're, we're going to play an attacking style and we know we're going to have some big losses, but, you know, we, we want to attack. Sometimes I, when I've been watching their games, I wonder if, I mean, I get that. You've got to be positive attack, but maybe they do need to sort of refocus and, and, and look a bit more at, at defending or, or putting, you know, you can still you can still attack, but but have some defensive pressure. Um, and like you said, maybe you don't go up the middle all the time. Like it's you don't want to uh, go the other way and completely lock down and you know um, yeah, always well, when, be negative. But you got to maybe they've got to look at some options yeah. to when try some different When they slowed things. the game right down and took the short kicks, they kept possession. And, and so all they have to do is just keep moving those short kicks around, which means that your off-the-ball running is really important and needs to be hard and polished. So if you don't have work right there, then you're not helping out your teammate holding the ball, and then they're going to have to resort to the big, long kick to a contest. Mm-hmm. And every time Sydney had to resort to that kick to a contest, they just turned it over. And yep. North are far too good and too quick on their transitions, which Scott would know this because I reckon that's where they learned it was from him anyway. Like when from the get-go their first season, they were so sublime at their transition running and turning, you know, defense into attack and then whacking in some goals. And then the other thing is they dropped out Ali Morfitt, who is our tallest player coming against Emma King, who is their tallest and one of the tallest in the league. Mm. And she's had, a great contested mark. So when exactly. they do so we had that no one, contest. no one on her. So then if if Ali's out of form, which, you know, perhaps you could say that for the last couple of weeks, do you keep her in for this week or do you drop her last week and work on her to get back for this week? I don't know. I just, it just seemed like we just went in, we, Swans went in a little bit too short against that team as well. So, um almost like we were willing to concede, we swans, were willing to concede Emma King taking the high marks, getting goals because Mm. you know she's going to do it. She's going to do it. She does it, I think, probably against every team, to be honest. Um, But, but yeah, it's, you know, there's some, there are some good quality players in the swans lineup. I just don't think we're getting a whole game out of them. And I don't think the work rate and the hunger and that bloods culture, I don't think they're quite playing like that. I just think, you know, there's one point when there was that transition and there were three North players running into their Ford 50 with not a single swan on them. Hmm. So, you know, and that's not, you know, our swans' backs are not getting up and kicking goals. So where were they on transition? Where were they? Where were the midfields running back? Um, you know, I just think, you know, Maybe, maybe, maybe psychologically that hunger is getting lost because of the results and the scores against them because that's a hard thing to continue. Could it be um, a fitness thing or even a footy nous? I mean, the coach can do so much to prepare them true. on game day, yeah. but, and, but are they getting tired because they're getting beaten by such big margins? And, you know, we speak about motivation. Um, yeah. You know, that gets you down. Maybe you don't run as much. Well, and if you don't quite have I that think. fitness... Because there was only, when you look at it, there'd only be a few players there. Probably Lexi Hamilton, Brooke Lachlan, probably Ali Morfitt, Alicia Newman. Newman. I'd say probably only those four would not have been playing since last AFLW season. 
all the rest have been playing a full winter comp, so they should be fit. Oh, and Maddie Collier, add to that one. Um, so, yeah, so I just think, you know, the other thing is discipline. We gave away a couple of silly free kicks again that were 50-metre penalties that led to a goal. Mm. So, you know, and there's <clears throat> I don't know what the stats are on that, but I think there's just about enough of those in a game that could be um, more goals against us in a 50-metre penalty or resulting from a 50-metre penalty than goals Squans have scored. Yeah, when you're losing, um, you know, consistently and by big margins, you don't need to be giving teams easy goals from 50s yes. or yes. whether it's direct from a 50 or, you know, um, the 50, you know, just yeah, it's uh, you don't need to be making it any easier. Okay, I think that's a good note to move on from. <laughs> so um, there was a jerk who wrote a jerk article in a jerk newspaper. And um, I think what we need to do is have strategy because this is going to continue to happen where people punch down on the on the league, punch down on the competition and uh, compare us to, compare the women's league to schoolboy footy or whatever. Um, I think what we need to agree to do as a community is don't share these articles, don't draw attention to them, don't mention the person's name in your in your social media um, response, and just yeah, block them. Block the people who are going to talk about that about the league that way. You know, it it is still in its infancy. It's building every year. Um, we don't need that kind of negative um, uh, media about about the league. We need to be as positive as we can. Continue to build. Of course, we need money. Of course, we need development. Of course, we need pathways. We just don't need to give Steve Price, you absolute dead set jerk, any more attention. Moving on. Let's talk about our tipping competition. Hey, before we, before we do, though, the trolling that went on because of there was a really close game, Saints and Pies, ripping game. Nick Stevens could have won the game for Saints, which would have been yeah. huge because no one would have tipped them. Yeah. And missed from <clears throat> she was uh, what about ten meters outside the the goal square. Yep. Running flat tack, and it happens. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen in the men's game from inside the square. But the trolling that went on, and the number of people that said, "Oh, that is why this game is ridiculous." So one kick, they're going, "That is why we shouldn't watch." The other people I look at and I go. If you've got females in your life or children that want to grow up and play, because there was some guy who posted negative stuff and he's in a photo with his daughter in a footy uniform, I just got to look at it and go, I feel sorry for your kid. Maybe get, is it DHHS or Child Care Services onto them? I don't know. Right, tipping. <laughs> tipping. No one, no one got the um, whole nine rounds. Um, the whole nine games, but two people did tip eight out of nine, and I will say hats off to them. Rachel Holt down in Melbourne, she's Rach. probably still celebrating. She's Geelong Cat supporter, yeah. and one Emma Phillips, who some people may recall as a voice of our show, Coding um, her alumni <laughs> for the last few seasons, I think it was. Um, but not only that, Emma actually tipped the margin as well. Ah, oh. so, um, very big. Big kudos to them. Um, Emma's sitting at 20, Rachel's sitting at 40. And at the top of the list is Jess Rook is sitting on uh, one point and Tim M is uh, second place 
by Swans fans. Can I just share something? There's a whole heap of people that tipped seven out of nine rounds and a chunk of them are giant supporters. So um, go you guys. Fernie, Fern Face is in there. Uh, Michael, the big man of the Giants voice, is there. Christian P from MacUni. Even Georgina, um, who was there. There's also a pies person, Andy. Um, Fee, you got seven. Tracy Kent yes. got seven. Stacy <laughs> got seven. Um, See, so yeah, there's a bunch that got seven. Um, but Fee, you're still sitting in the 30s, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well... I'm okay with that. <laughs> this is Maddie Collier and you're listening to The Coat Hanger. This week I chatted to Maddie Collier. You'll hear the entire interview in our fifth quarter, but here is a small snippet of our conversation. So when young Maddie dreamed of being a Sydney Swan, did those dreams include being a captain and what work have you done away from the field to grow your leadership skills? Ooh, um. I can't say that it did, to be honest. I think when I was growing up playing, I remember watching a grand final on telly of the men's and I thought just like fire out, how cool would it be to to be that one day? But you never really put too much behind it, I suppose, because back then like there wasn't even a league down in the coast or there was, but I didn't know about it and wasn't playing yet. So, yeah, you kind of just look at it on the TV and you think, geez, that'd be cool. Um, So, yeah, the captain thing, definitely not. Um, I didn't even consider playing at that point. Um, But I suppose growing my leadership away from um, football, I think that's probably just come naturally. I'm pretty, um, like, values-driven. So I'm always trying to live every day by my values. Um, And, yeah, it's been a funny one because without sounding arrogant or anything I've just sort of been doing what I normally do and it's um, been picked up by peers and and people around me so I guess that's really comforting in a way Um, but yeah always just trying to be a better person um, and getting to know people I think being a football player um, I've learned a lot that you're obviously in the public eye more and a bit more of a role model to lots of young girls whether you like it or not so sort of stepped into that um, in, in more recent years and gotten a lot more, maybe not comfortable, but just better at um, speaking to people and trying to relate to stories and, um, yeah, just trying to get better relationships with people, which has probably been my biggest growth. So you've been in the leadership group for all three AFLW clubs that you've been in and even teams before that. How has your leadership style adjusted over the years? Yeah, it's probably um, like what I just mentioned, I suppose. I think previously um, and even this year a little bit, I started to change what I would do because I thought I had to step into this completely new role um, and not be someone that I'm I'm not, but like be more and try and generate something that's not there, which I've um, discovered quite a few times isn't the way to go. So, um, yeah, it's kind of been like, and I'm still learning on the fly really, but I've kind of just um, learning to, every time I feel like I'm going that way, I bring myself back to what I'm doing. Um, and sometimes it's, I think it's really important um, to be selfish, to be selfless, if that makes sense. So kind of look after yourself and make sure that your cup's full so that you can pour more. And that's not to say that I'm always getting it right, but I'm certainly learning that um, a lot more, especially in this role. Um and what that looks like so that's probably 
I'd say the growth that I've found in, in my leadership right now. And then it's just like trying to be as consistent as possible, which isn't always easy as I'm discovering. But um, yeah, it's just that, yeah, the tenacity to keep going with that, I think. This is Alicia Newman and you're listening to The Co-Hanger. Now, next week, we have a special guest joining us. And uh, Kiwi, I'm going to ask you to uh, give us a little intro, a little bit of background. Yeah, next week, um, we'll be talking as a lead into Pride Round. So obviously, it's a bit of a special round of matches for AFLW. So joining us on the show is um, we are lucky enough to get the president of Darabin Falcons, uh, Jane Riot, who's um, been in the present role for a couple of years. But Darabin Falcons in the in the Victorian comp has been known to produce um, a huge number of absolute champions of this game. I think season one, they had 18 of their team drafted to AFLW. There's a bunch around now that have been captains. Um, so we're talking about um, Melissa Hickey, Meg McDonald, Katie Brennan, Astor O'Connor, Daisy Pierce, Karen Lauren Paxman. Arnell. Lauren Arnell, Nat Wood, the two that have ended up um, coaching. Nat didn't play, but she's been a coach. Um, who else? Uh, Nikki Callahan. Nikki Callahan is on the coaching panel at Carlton. Um, Jess Delpos, Elisa Day are still playing, and Darcy Vessio are still playing at Carlton. So there's a there's a heap of Darabin players around. So they've been they're a club that are all about. Um, it's a female only club, so it's female. Um, I'd say female run, but they do have obviously some males and they're helping them and a couple of the teams are coached by males. But generally their board is all females, their president's female, um, their VFLW coach at the moment, Kate Tyndall is a former player from uh, Western Bulldogs. Uh, they're, they're all um, really about inclusion. So they have rewritten their own policy. So they were very famous and well-known for having Hannah Mouncey come and join the team in the 2018 season when people were saying trans women should not be allowed to play. And uh, Darabin opened their arms up and said, um, you're one of us, come play with us. And Hannah found a home for her for her, um, her playing football. So they've readjusted their policy again. Um, and Jane will talk, we'll, we'll ask Jane a bit about it, but it's now including trans men. So it's a huge shift in in the way sports clubs can become a really inclusive space. And Jane will talk a little bit about why the need to include trans men into um, into a club like Darabin Falcons. But, um, but yeah, so we're looking forward to have Jane on the show. And uh, with next week, it'll be pod only. We won't actually have the live show. So look out for that pod. Um, and that will be in the lead up to Pride Round, which is round eight. So we're getting in early. This has been round six part of the Coat Hanger for AFLW Season 7. We will be coming to you every week on 2SER 107.3, except for the next two weeks, because it will be their uh, radiothon. Um, be sure to catch us on our socials. We are at Coat Hanger Footy on all of them. And don't forget to catch the full version of this show in our podcast with, with extra content in the fifth quarter, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, for the best harbour views in women's footy, tune in to The Coat Hanger. And next week, get along to Henson Park, Sydney Swans. It is your chance to draw the big crowd. Either get more than 8,972, equal 8,972, or even get a little bit less. 
But I know you've got 6,500 members, so get along. We actually want to lock out down there, get your tickets early, and um, get in Saturday afternoon. See you there in the red and white. Well, it feels like we have New South Wales AFL royalty joining us on the show this week. Uh, starting as a junior for Kiama Power, selected in New South Wales under-18 reps for the from the age of 14, and then picked by GWS Giants as a priority pick prior to the inaugural AFLW draft. Debuted in round one that year, had three solid seasons with the Giants before a shift to West Coast Eagles for another three years, and now landing back home with the Sydney Swans, one of the captains of the team. Welcome to the show, Maddie Mad Dog Collier. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> So, Maddie, um, I should start by saying sorry for your loss after that uh, that match against the Hawks, but let's move on. And uh, I want to know how and when did you uh, get that nickname? How did it come about? Oh, God, I think I had, I don't know, people at school probably just mucking around. I've had a few nicknames. Um, Mad Dog, yeah. It might have been self-given at one point, I think, just as a joke, and then someone's rolled with it, but... Yeah, I sort of respond to anything that's got mad in front of it. Um, right. <laughs> just by nature, yeah. But you bring it to, to, this, to your role in the Swans, yeah? Oh, yeah, I guess. I guess I probably play a bit like a mad dog sometimes, just um, <laughs> head over it and go after the footy. So, yeah, it is well, a bit like, mad. Yeah, I did, I did notice that you collided with a couple of teammates uh, in that game. I thought, they, there's the mad dog. There's yeah. the mad dog. <laughs> It'd be uncharacteristic for me not to, I'd say. Right. <laughs> so when young Maddie dreamed of being a Sydney Swan, did those dreams include being a captain? And what work have you done away from the field to grow your leadership skills? Ooh, um, I can't say that it did, to be honest. I think when I was growing up playing, I remember watching a grand final on te- telly of the men's and I thought just like, far out how cool would it be to to be that one day but you never really put too much behind it I suppose because back then like there wasn't even a league it's down in the coast or there was but I didn't know about it and wasn't playing yet so yeah you kind of just look at it on the tv and you think geez that'd be cool um so yeah the captain thing definitely not um I didn't even consider playing at that point um but I suppose growing my leadership away from um football I think that's probably just come naturally I'm pretty um like values driven so I'm always trying to live every day by my values um and yeah it's been a funny one because um without sounding arrogant or anything I've just sort of been doing what I normally do and it's um been picked up by peers and, and people around me so I guess that's really comforting in a way um but, yeah, always just trying to be a better person um, and getting to know people. I think being a football player, um, I've learned a lot that you're obviously in the public eye more and a bit more of a role model to the lots of young girls, whether you like it or not. So sort of stepped into that um, in, in more recent years and gotten a lot more, maybe not comfortable, but just better at um, speaking to people and trying to relate to stories and, um, yeah, just trying to, get better relationships with people, which has probably been my biggest growth. So you've been in the leadership group for all three AFLW clubs that you've been in and even teams before that. How has your leadership style adjusted over the years? Yeah, it's probably um, 
like what I just mentioned, I suppose, I think previously um, and even this year a little bit, I started to change what I would do because I thought I had to step into this completely new role um, and not be someone that I'm, I'm not, but like be more and try and generate something that's not there, which I've um, discovered quite a few times isn't the way to go. So, um, yeah, it's kind of been like, and I'm still learning on the fly really, but I've kind of just um, learning to, every time I feel like I'm going that way, I bring myself back to what I'm doing. Um, and sometimes it's, I think it's really important um, to be selfish, to be selfless, if that makes sense. So kind of look after yourself and make sure that your cup's full so that you can pour more. And that's not to say that I'm always getting it right, but I'm certainly learning that um, a lot more, especially in this role. Um and what that looks like. So that's probably, I'd say, the growth that I've found in, in my leadership right now. And then it's just like trying to be as consistent as possible, which isn't always easy as I'm discovering. But, um, yeah, it's just that, yeah, the tenacity to keep going with that, I think. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah, great. Now, you might have answered this already, but I'll, I'll just see if you've got anything to add. So for other aspiring young leaders or future captains, what's the best piece of advice you have been given that you'd like to pass on? Oh, that's a good one. Um, it was actually really recently. Um, I was talking to one of the men's players, actually, and he said that, um, like, if you want to have a, a long and successful career, you'll undeniably come up with patches of bad form or, um, you know, you will struggle. Like, it's inevitable. So um, he said, like, the best piece of advice he got was just to keep showing up and just keep doing it and trust that the, the process will work eventually, uh, which can be really hard when you're in the thick of it. You sort of think like, geez, I'm getting nowhere. Like, and the world's starting to like, you know, come in on top of you. Um, but it's true. Like once you stick your mind to like, okay, might not be perfect, but I'm just going to grind, grind at it, keep going, chip away, keep showing up as the person that you want to be. Um, I think, you slowly start to shift back that way. Um, and then, yeah, to couple it with what I was saying before about looking after yourself. Um, I think sometimes that gets said a lot and you sort of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But until you kind of take a second to um, break that down and you're in the situation that you really need to utilise it, I think it becomes a lot more powerful, um, which has probably been happening to me in the last couple of weeks, I suppose. So, yeah, probably those two bits of advice have been like combined together um, really, really timely for me. Yeah, something in that for all of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the best female player in the South Coast comp wins the Maddie Collier medal. How does that feel, having a, a, such a huge honour named after you and while you're still so young? Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's weird. It's kind of weird that there's a metal named after me especially because like I don't know, I'm nothing special really but no it's cool I'm I'm very humbled by it um and yeah I suppose I don't know you kind of have to take ownership of a little bit like I guess I was just in the right place at the right time when I was growing up and having footy on the south coast um I guess I'm proud overall because I like to think that AFL has um, gotten a bit more of a name down there, especially like amongst females. Um, and I've played a part in that as well. 
Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's still really weird. Like, I it's so weird saying, oh yeah, there's Matty Collier medal, and I hate people finding out about it because they just give me stick <laughs> about it. But yeah, I suppose I just got to own that one. Yeah, sorry, it's uh, it's now going to be uh, round uh, round round more of the traps. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> will know after this. <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll move on um shout out to friend of the pod your mum carol who has spent many hours traveling to all your games uh no matter who you played for or where you played uh did you have to sit her down to tell her you were coming home how did she take the news um did i have to sit her down i don't think i sat her down i think we kind of kind of had a chat about it and like it's like i just kept bringing up the swans and like without verbally saying the words, like I, I want to go to the Swans. I think I'd just the amount of times I'd mentioned it, kind of confirmed it myself. Um, and obviously, Mum was stoked. I think when I moved to West Coast, like we kind of like I'm obviously very close with Mum, and we always had the chat. Like you know, if you want to come back to New South Wales, like in the off season, or whatever, it's just a flight away. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then COVID sort of hit, and it felt like as I left New South Wales, the door got slammed shut behind me and I couldn't get back in. So it made WA a very long, um, isolating time over there. So I was pretty keen to get back to this side of the country when I could. Um, and don't get it wrong, Perth was great. And I really enjoyed the people that I met over there. And it's a very nice weathered state, I will say, compared to New South Wales. But um, no, it was really good to get back home and to be able to be closer to mum which is great so yeah great and so yeah. how has that adjustment been back living uh, on this side of the country and that close to family um yeah it's been it's been good like obviously the move and stuff is um trying to shift your stuff over the country can always have its logistical nightmares and errors but no it's been it's been great to be so close like yesterday I caught up with my sister for lunch and I sort of was sitting there and I was like, far out. There was probably a three-year period where I saw her on Zoom and, like, that's how I um, spoke to her. And we grew up as a pretty tight-knit family. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose it highlighted it when I was over in Perth, how far away they were. And, yeah, now that mum's back down the coast and she can sort of drive up, she does that drive from Nara to Sydney with her eyes closed these days. She's done it so many times. So, um <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome because, like, it's just nice to be close to family and friends, I suppose. Yeah, great. Now, some people may not know that this is not the first time you've kitted up for this ones. Um, the first time was back in 2014 for the exhibition match against the Giants. And you had a few special teammates that day. Do you think they'll ever come back to the red and white, namely one Rebecca Beeson? Oh, that's a good question. You'd have to ask her that one. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I reckon it would be cool if we got the gang back together. I think um, Nick Barr was in there as well. Yeah. Um, I saw the I saw the footage for that the other day and I was like, oh, my God, we were just babies. Like, we really were so young. But, yeah, it's funny looking back at that and thinking I've already actually worn the Swans kit and played on their CG, which is even cooler. So, yeah, it's a funny one. Yes. Well, I remember we were locked out. We uh as the first siren was blasting, they opened the gates and I was livid. Oh. I said, is this how they run this thing? This is terrible. <laughs> so I started a podcast. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> yeah. um, so one other um, 
who you played with back then and and then then alongside at the Giants, uh, who we lost almost two years ago was Cinder Barclay. She had a special way she went about games and locker rooms. Is there any of that that you carry on now in her spirit? Um, that's a good question. I don't think there's anything specific that she did, but um, yeah, Cinder was definitely the type of person that um, lived life to the beat of her own drum. And when she died, obviously it was super upsetting. Um, and, you know, I think the whole community got rocked by it, but I sort of took from it. Um, like, I love that she, it didn't matter who you were um, and what walk of life you came from and you were always included. So that's something I've tried to, to carry on is even like within a team setting or, or whatever it is, like making sure everyone feels valued um, because that was kind of her legacy for me. Um, and just, yeah, just the banter, to be honest, she was so funny. Like <laughs> um, my sister told me a story after she died. I'll share it with you because I think it's hilarious. Um, but she ran into her at a nail salon and um she just like plonked herself on one of those seats to get a pedicure. She had half a chicken, like half a roast chook on her lap. <laughs> she offered some to my sister and was like, do you want some? And Jamie's like, nah, it's all good. And then she has no worries. And then um, starts eating a chicken. And then the lady came over, asked her what she wants. And she's like, oh yeah, I'll get a mani pedi. And then the lady went to get the bowl of water. And she just licked her lips, like licked the chicken off her lips, put it in the bowl and off she went. And I just thought, fire, that is so Cinder. And it's just, yeah, she just lived life the way she wanted to. And I thought it was great, like so colourful. And, um, yeah, it's it's good to look back on those memories of her and think about, yeah, how, how happy and bright she, she made the world. And I'd rather celebrate her time here. So, yeah, that's how I sort of choose to look back on her. Yeah, well, thanks for telling that story, Maddie. It's um, you brought a tear to my eye, actually. Um, but it's really, it's really lovely to have those those memories. She's um, she really was one of a kind. She was. She wasn't. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to compose myself for a yeah. second. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, with so many new players at the Swans from over the border, how have you helped them adjust to Sydney life and um? I think I think uh, Kiwi wants to know about surfing, paddleboarding, and South Coast adventures. <laughs> um, well, that's a good one. I suppose uh, we've got a lot of girls that are from um, Victoria, obviously, um, and they're all pretty young, and they're actually living at UNSW together. There's um, some accommodation there that they all live pretty close with, so they're doing really well. I think um, they're loving it. I think a lot of them are from. Um, you know, the, the weather of Melbourne, which can be miserable at the best of times. And now they're living up here and could you be just down the road and they sort of got, yeah, all these beaches at their fingertips. So I often see them come down, grab a coffee in the morning, go for a swim, get in a side bowl after that. So I think they're adapting quite well. Um, but yeah, I suppose in the football side of things, it's a bit different because some of them um, probably haven't been in the program before. So yeah, I suppose... Um, I don't really know how to answer that. I think they're all sort of looking after themselves, but yeah, it's more just like being um, a resource for them to chat to if they need it um, and getting around them because I think everyone in our program is super talented um, and works really hard. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, reminding them to have that belief in themselves and 
being that extra layer of support and I suppose education for them when you can be. Um, yeah, it's probably how I see myself helping them, I suppose. Yeah, and also making sure that the Victorians know there's decent coffee in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is still up for debate with them, apparently. Um, I can't I can't even tell the difference, but they're, I think I they're actually touched my pearls just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? People in their coffee. <laughs> horror okay maddie final question if there was a banner at the home games with a message from mad dog collier what would it say oh wow that is a great question a banner um i like rhymes it'd be cool if it rhymed but i'm not much of a poet so oh just something like go have a crack (laughs) i I (laughs) I can't think of much better than that. No, it'd just be like, yeah, I don't know, a little G up. I'm not I'm not huge on speeches. I've never been really any good at them, I think. I just like to go out there and, yeah, crack in. Sounds good. Well, Maddie, we're looking forward to uh, watching you crack in again at the next uh, game, and thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Thanks for having me.